Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. Good morning, everyone. Um, I'm super excited and I feel blessed to be reading today from God's great scripture. And the books I will be reading today is uh, from the book of John, uh, chapter 1, verse 1 to 9, and Isaiah 9, verse 2. So the book of John says, chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and God was the Word. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might be saved. He did not come, he was not the, he himself was not the light. He only came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone is coming into the world. All right, Isaiah 9, 2 says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And this, my brothers and sisters, is the word of God. All right. Uh, I want you to take a few minutes. You know, everyone, maybe you grew up in a tradition where you weren't allowed to talk in church. going to let you talk in church, okay? Uh, Talk to the person next to you. Best gift you ever received and why? Keep it short, but best gift you ever received and why? You may, you may need more time. Some of you may have said you haven't got it yet. The rest of you are taking notes, uh, hopefully, that you know that's coming. Um, so in a former life, I used to work in marketing, and one of the things we talked about in marketing was when you're selling a product to somebody, you have to try to identify the higher order benefit. Now, what I'm about to say sounds evil, but it's not. It's just kind of how the economy works, okay? So if you're going to sell something to someone, you say, okay, buy this cleaning product. Okay, the, the benefit is that, oh, it'll clean your floors better. But the higher, what's the higher order benefit? Well, that you'll have more time with your family because you won't have to spend as much time. So let's tell them that you'll have more time with your family if you buy this product because the higher order benefit is not clean floors, but family. Okay, and if you're going to eat this product, what's the benefit? Well, it tastes good. Yeah, but what's the, what's the higher order benefit? Well, it'll bring your family together. It'll make every, you'll be, you'll be seen as this fantastic host. People want to be at your house. Okay. This is the higher order. That sounds totally evil, but if you could find the higher order benefit, then somebody would buy in. Okay. One of the things I've noticed over, uh, I guess the Christmas advertising over the last couple of years is that, um, the word joy has appeared more frequently than it used to. We kind of used to talk about happiness and delight of the season, but the word joy has worked its way a little bit more into Christmas communication because it's a higher order benefit, isn't it? Like, there probably isn't anything more profound and deep and delightful than 
Joy is the promise that is probably underneath everything that goes with the Christmas season, and who wouldn't want that? It's as good as it can get, whether it's the gifts or the family time or the food or just the feeling of the season. Joy is probably the highest order benefit. Would that that be fair to say? And who wouldn't want that? It's kind of a universal appeal. It has a warm feeling to it, has a spiritual feeling to it for those who are spiritual. It just has, it's one of those promises that's there. Now, the thing that I have found with joy is this can be a bit of a moving target. Like, how do you define it? And, and maybe we would have felt like, well, in the past we had it and an experience, but, it, but then it kind of slips through our fingers. Or maybe it's there for the two-week season or the season leading up to it, but then after Christmas, sort of the joy is gone or whatever, when you get the credit card bills and something, you're like, I'm not feeling a lot of joy right now. It's, it can be a moving target sometimes because we think that, okay, it looks like this. Joy looks like this. Delight, fulfillment looks like this for me. But when I get that, well, I don't actually experience what I thought. It's not, it's not kind of behind. It's not there. Or maybe we can all look back on our lives and say there were times where we were experiencing that joy, but really that wasn't joy. Like we kind of know it now, like as we look back and go, well, yeah, that wasn't real. Or that actually, I should have actually run screaming from that. That was not a good thing at the time. I thought this is the best thing ever. Later, I look back and go, that was not good at all for me. And so joy is one of these moving targets. And so maybe it can make us feel, you know, a bit cynical. Like I think we're we're more savvy consumers, right? Now when we, when we watch ads or things, we kind of know the stuff isn't going to bring us joy. But, but we want it. We want that experience. And the question is, is it, is it more than a feeling? Is it more than a feeling? You know, is it only there for those couple of weeks and then it's gone? We can be cynical about it. And maybe you've come in here this morning and you're one of those people that you feel at this time of season and you just kind of, you're, you believe it. Every time it comes around, you believe it. Oh, yes, joy. And you're going to hang on to it as long as you can. Or maybe you're a bit cynical about it. You go, no, it's not really what this season about. Or maybe there's stuff that's just going on in your life right now as it comes into the season where you feel like it's just sucking all the joy out of your life. And no matter how bright and shiny and beautiful and warm this season is, it can't actually give you that sense of joy. What's interesting is that it's good actually to know the marketers didn't invent the idea of joy. The very first Christmas, before it was Christmas, the promise of Christmas was what? Good news of great joy. It's an adjective, right? Great. Immense. Joy by itself holds a lot of meaning, but great joy, great joy. Good news because there's great joy for all people. It, was, it is the, kind of the, the bedrock promise of Christmas is good news of great joy for all people. And you might say, okay, yeah, yeah, we know that's because Jesus was born and that's how. But, but is that really? Because when Jesus came, some people experienced the great joy. Other people didn't. Even today, some people, and maybe some of you, many of you would say, yes, that's, that's been a source of great joy in my life. But others would say, well, I don't know, or it isn't now, or I'm not convinced yet. Simply saying, well, because Jesus was born, that's good news of great joy. What is it about the birth of Jesus that allows us to receive this as great joy? The passages that Len read for us give us the clues in the Christmas story. They're the clues that I believe are meant to prepare us and help us actually receive the promise that Christmas made 2,000 years ago. 
that the writers made, that the angels made when they came to the shepherds and said, behold, we bring you good news of great joy for all people. How do we actually, we're all people. We were meant to receive it. It was meant to be great, not a feeling, but an experience of delight and joy that would remain. So how do we do that? The Christmas story actually has clues for us. And the themes that, that has been running through this service already that are in both those scriptures gives us a clue to the kind of people we need to be and the kind of mentality we need to have as we look at this gift of Christmas in order to receive lasting joy. And who wouldn't want that? Everybody in for that? Let me see your hands. Both hands. Everybody in for that? Yes. The writers in both John and Isaiah talk about light and darkness. In fact, if you read the, the Gospel of John, it begins with, in the beginning, which all of John's listeners, and read, they would have been listeners because most of the world didn't read then, so someone would have got the letter and read it out loud. It would have reminded them, and it reminds us of the very first words of the Bible, the book of Genesis, in the beginning. So in the beginning, the very first three words of the Bible, it describes God creating the world. Now, it's not a scientific description of how it all came to be. It's just a description that it came to be by God's word. And it said that the world was dark and empty, and in the beginning, God spoke and said what? Let there be light. Okay, so we know that the cosmos, in a sense, operates, and certainly our earth operates really solely from the light of the sun. The sun does everything for us. It is life and light. And so Genesis says, in the beginning, the world was dark, it was empty, it was shapeless, and God said, let there be light, and light was the beginning of life. And John, at the beginning of his chapter, not telling the beginning of the world, but telling the beginning of true life. And the Greeks used two words for life. Remember, one was bios, which just meant physical life. The other one was zoe, which meant essential life, really living. When we say, ah, I feel alive, we use that word zoe. John says, in the beginning, the word brought light. And that light was the life, or that life was the light of man. So into darkness comes light, first physically at the beginning of the world, but John says, yeah, but another light was coming that was going to give life, not just bios life, but zoe life, if we would say. The source of joy and life was light coming into the world, and that light was Jesus. And Isaiah, 700 years before, had said, a people walking in what? Darkness. Some of your translations said the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. On those living under the shadow of death, a light has dawned. It is the picture of into darkness comes glorious light. Now, at Genesis, it was describing like literal darkness in a sense. Again, not scientifically how it all came to be, but that there was nothing. And then God spoke the first word of life, which was light. And into that light, you know, the sun came and gave it, it calls the moon a great light, but we know like the moon's just a reflection of that, the great burning light, you know, that governs earth and all the rest of the universe was all the stars, which the sun is just one. God spoke light, it brought life. But John says, into darkness comes the light of life, which is Jesus. Now the word darkness in scripture is not describing literal darkness. It's describing the human condition. It says the people who walked or sat in darkness, what does that mean? 
Throughout Scripture, and in fact, throughout the whole Gospel of John, you will find this contrast of light and darkness. As John's telling his biographical story of Jesus, he uses the motifs of light and darkness to describe what was going on. And the darkness describes really the human condition of every heart and therefore the world in which we live. That the world in itself, though we have the sun and the stars, is a world that sits in darkness. And the Bible describes darkness out there and in here. It uses the word sin, which as we said a few months ago when we were studying the story of Scripture, sin's not actually a negative word. We think it's kind of a negative word, but it's not. Because sin is a diagnosis or a proposal or an answer to the question that every one of us has, regardless of your faith background, which is this, what's wrong with the world? Every one of us asks that question. And not just out there, and there's lots of things wrong with the world out there. But what's wrong with the world in here? Why am I the way I am? Why are there things about me that cannot seem to change? Why are there things about me that I want to hide? Why is my instinct to hide? And then when I feel exposed to blame, the Bible says it's darkness. There's a darkness out there and there's a darkness in there. There's a darkness of sin that rules the way I am, that though I want to do good, I can't quite seem to do it or I can't seem to do it consistently enough. And sometimes even beneath my good motives or good actions are, are not so good motives. Or I can last for a little while and then it runs out. And there's darkness out there. There's suffering. There's chaos in the world. The scriptures actually use the term darkness to describe the problem with what's going on. That we are, in a sense, as people suffering from a sickness. Some physical sickness. But some a sickness of the heart. A brokenness. That all is not as it should be in here. And I cannot quite make myself be together. At best, I can fake it during times, and sometimes I feel like I'm coming apart. And there's darkness out there, the problems that I'm surrounded with, the things I read about in the paper, or the things my family are going through. The Bible describes the people of the world, and therefore the condition of the world in totality, because nobody, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of social class, regardless of gender, regardless of race, regardless of importance, and success. Nobody is immune to the darkness. Everybody has it in them. Everybody has it around them. And the Bible says that into that darkness came the light of Christ. The light of life came into darkness. And what we find is that the ones who recognized and admitted that they were walking in darkness were the ones who saw the light as great. The ones who realized they were sitting in darkness, the ones who realized they were wrestling with and dealing with darkness saw the light for what it was. They received it. The ones who resisted it, who said they were fine, didn't need it, didn't see it as light. In darkness, because of the condition of darkness, darkness leaves us disoriented. It leaves us at times feeling lost. Darkness leaves us not seeing things as they really are. And therefore, we make choices. We bang our shins in the dark. We do things. We saw things a certain way, but suddenly when the lights go out, we forget what was where. And so we get lost or we make mistakes or we go down paths that we shouldn't have. This is the source of darkness is sin. The effect of it is chaos and lostness and disorientation. And the writers of Scripture say, this was the condition of the world into which Jesus came. And that's why he came. 
Because though people had the light of the sun, they were lost in life. Actually, the whole story of Scripture really up to the coming of Jesus is just a description that people couldn't fix themselves, education couldn't fix people, kingdoms, kings, politics, social systems could not actually fix the darkness. And we can find that to be true today. That no matter what your job, how important your title is, no matter how much money you make or how little money you make, none of us are immune to the feelings and experiences of darkness. It is universal. And into that universal condition, the light of Jesus comes. And the scriptures explain to us that as the light came, the ones who saw him as light, the ones who were well aware of their condition, received it with joy. You ever wonder why all of these people who ended up around the manger, you know, the shepherds who were disenfranchised, discredited, kind of miscreants on the margins of society, not even credible enough to give testimony in court, they were the ones given the message to deliver. Mary, as she said, who am I? I'm a poor person. I'm not from a noble family. Joseph, really not from any kind of family importance. They were chosen to be there. He was birthed into a cave, stinking of animals, margins. It was because that was where the darkness was most obvious, or at least those are the ones that were no illusion that they had light. And that's why they ran toward the light. And so here we are today sort of going, how do I grasp joy? How do I experience the light of life, that Zoe life? How do I have joy in my life? I'm wise enough now to know it's not from the stuff, and actually it doesn't matter how much money I make, and it doesn't matter how important I see myself. I have darkness in my life, in here and out there. There are relational conflicts that just don't seem to mend themselves in my life. I don't seem to be quite successful at making them work. I have moments and flashes of brilliance. But then I have times in my life that I would be embarrassed that anyone would know about. That there are things that I can feel at times very positive about myself psychologically, and there are other times I think the most destructive thoughts about myself. Psychologically, there's brokenness. In my workplace, there's stuff I feel motivated praised, approved of at times, and other times I feel like I'm no good or I'm wasting my time or what's the point of this anyway? And there are times when everybody thinks I'm fine, but inside I know I'm not fine at all. And how do I grasp joy in that environment? It is as we reconcile and wrestle with our darkness that we receive Jesus' life. But how does the light come to us? I was thinking about this. The light of Jesus is not like a searchlight. Yeah, you ever watch, I got into that show like years later, Prison Break, and then I just had to stop watching because it was just like, it was too many. It's like when you name the show Prison Break, you know what has to happen every season, right? Somebody has to end up in jail so they can get out. So, you know, they broad named it a little more generally. They could have taken the storyline way different directions. But anyways, there's points several times in that series where suddenly, like, someone's escaping. There's this massive searchlight that, that shines on them. Now, when a searchlight comes, what do you try to do when the searchlight finds you? Hide. <laughs> exactly. You want to get as far away from that thing. Why? Because it's exposing. It makes you feel so vulnerable and weak. It blinds you. And many of us think that's how God is. He's trying to find me. He's trying to expose me. He's trying to point out the sin in me, the things I've been trying to hide or escape from. He's like, ha, I got you. 
It's kind of a blinding light where, you know, when, when you're blinded by a spotlight, you can't see the person on the other side of the light. They're not trying to be seen or known. They're trying to expose you. They are in darkness. You are in blinding light. Maybe that's how we were told God was, or that's how our experience of God was, that the, the spotlight, the searchlight makes us want to run away, makes us want to hide even more, makes us want to cower in the darkness because it's going to expose us, and it's out to get us, and it's out to make us feel terrible about ourselves. But Jesus is not the searchlight that comes into the world. It's more like a candle. What does a candle do in the dark? It, it makes you want to move towards it, right? It, it's not blinding. In fact, at, even when it's first lit, it actually seems small. You ever notice how the candle starts to, to glow? It actually starts to glow. And, and, and it's... It's not so assertive that it makes you want to run away. It actually makes you want to, if you're in darkness and a candle is lit, you want to move, move towards it. And if someone's on the other side of that light, now you can actually have eye contact. The candle doesn't blind you so much so that you can't see. In fact, it helps you see what's around you. A searchlight blots out any experience of, it actually is as disorienting as the dark. But a candle opens light, opens eyes, makes you move towards it. It, in a sense, even in and of itself, even though it's small, it communicates warmth. It draws us in. It helps us to see. And the closer we are to the light, the more we see what is around us. This is the light of Jesus. And you might say, Vijay, that sounds really nice. How do we know? Well, look at how he came. He did not come as a searchlight. That, that prayer Tony wrote for us and we read through was all about how Jesus came in ways so small. But some just missed it entirely. It was not a blinding light that proved to everyone who he was. It was a candle lit in the dark that began to glow. And those closest to it and those who knew there was something here, those who wanted to get out of the darkness, moved towards it. It was slow and small. It came on the margins. It came to those who were not so self-important, self-obsessed, distracted, that they missed it. This is how the light of Jesus comes to us. We who live in darkness, some of which we don't like, some of which we like because we like the darkness because we can hide in it. You know, when, when Adam and Eve first sinned, right? They hid. And then when they were exposed, they blamed. We don't like light in that sense. So sometimes we like the darkness, but a candle does not expose and say, you're caught, stop, dead in your tracks. It proposes, it offers something that is a light and says, come close and see who else is here. It's exactly how Jesus came, not just in his birth, although his birth is sort of a picture of how the light was coming into the world. That's why John begins his biography, not the ways the other writers did about the manger and the shepherds, whatever. He says, light was coming into the world. And even though it was small, the darkness couldn't overcome it. But here's the thing. I have some candles here. I'm going to light them. Remember these matches? When you light candles, let's keep the lights on for a second there. If I put these lights on without burning my fingers, 
In retrospect, the little clicker thing would have been uh, better. There's lots of lights on in this room already. There's a spotlight. There's some fluorescent lights. Some pot lights. You think about your own life. There's lots of light on sometimes. There's things that are around you that distract you for a while. Maybe some of the stuff of Christmas. It's like a light. It gives you some enjoyment for a period of time. Then it disappears and we turn on another one. Some of it is just busyness. Some of it is a new goal, a new achievement, maybe a new relationship. And those things in our lives provide light all over the place. And so sometimes when there's all kinds of other lights on, the light of Christ, it's there, but it's not bright. It can be lost in the rest of the stuff we're doing. It's not necessarily the light that we need to live, to walk. It's not necessarily light we move towards because there's so many other things in our lives that are giving us light, that are occupying us for a time or pulling us this way or pulling us that way. Maybe stuff that's exposing us a little bit so we're trying to hide from, like spotlights, like fluorescent lights, like pot lights, like the light of a screen. Those things light up our lives and they're in a sense competing with the true light and so it's one of many lights on. But if we turn off the lights, and let's do that now for a moment. I will move over here so I'm not lost completely. Now do you see the light? Why? Because it's dark. We realize when we are in darkness what true light is. Now, see, God, can you guys see me okay? God is not darkness. Sometimes we think that. He's not. He was the one who brought us to light. The fact that the first thing, in a sense, that the, the, the writer of Genesis describes that he created first is light tells us he is light. The Bible says in God there is no darkness at all. God came to dispel the darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. But there are times and ways in which God will allow the false neon fluorescent lights in your life to be turned down. Maybe a relationship that goes sour. Or suddenly financial crisis that you hit. Or physical sickness. Or something that happens and all of a sudden you're like, God, that was my light and you've taken it away or now it's in jeopardy and why would you do that? Whatever else God might be doing, in his grace, he may just be allowing us to have the false lights, in a sense, turned off. All good things, but not the light of life, not the light of the world, to remind us that actually without the light of the world, you sit in darkness. And actually, the condition of your heart is just like the people to whom Jesus first came, the people who walked in darkness, needed to see a great light. And it was not a blinding light, a searchlight, a neon light, or whatever that flashes here, flashes there, come over here, come over there. It was a candle that drew people in. 
And so sometimes the most gracious thing that God can do to us is give us a moment, an experience, and maybe sometimes even a season of darkness to remind us that true joy comes from the light of life who has come into the world. We need more of that. You know what I'm saying? Well, we should make an amen corner over here. You guys can sit with Len up here. Because God is not darkness, but in his sovereign grace, sometimes he allows us to experience darkness to say, hey, I do not want you to go here and go there, and I do not want you to hide in the dark. I want you to come to the light. That's why I gave you light. I've asked Anna, one of the worship team members here, she was singing up here to share her story. His, her story is really a story of God helping her experience true joy and turning her to the true light. So Anna, would you just come? If you can find your way up there. So God really uh, answered my prayers this morning because I was getting nervous and uh, um, he turned off all the lights so I can't see you. This is great. Um, <laughs> I just hope that you can uh, um, just support me um, while I'm speaking up here. Um, so for those of you that don't know me, my name is Anna. And I'm married to Dave, um, the bald guy on Praise. Um, he was playing bass today. And um, I have a mini schnauzer puppy named Dooley um, at home. And I've been coming to URCC for about two years. And I'm here today because I want to share you, uh, share with you a story of how God's been working in my life, even in my suffering, and I hope that this could be an encouragement to all of you. Growing up wasn't that easy for me, mainly because my parents always used to fight. I often found myself being fearful of going home, worrying if my parents would fight again. As I went into high school, university, and beyond, I believe God allowed me to pursue my talents in athletics as an outlet from the stressors of my family life that kept me really busy and out of trouble. Before I knew it, I was competing at my highest level. However, competition after competition, my ambitions kept growing along with my pride. The more I got recognized, the more prideful I became. Gradually, my status in soccer, awards, Trophies, medals, and even my team uniforms started to hold a significant meaning to my life. Athletics, as you can imagine, dominated my life. I felt proud and happy, but off the field, I still felt pretty empty and lost. I continued to prioritize sports before anything. I was always a busy person and very driven. That was my excuse for not spending time with God. However, no matter how busy my life got, I always made time for sports, especially my two main um, sports being soccer and volleyball, to a point where I started stepping down from church commitments like home group and compromising quality time with my husband. Sorry, Dave. Before I knew it, I turned sports into my biggest idol. An idol, by definition, is something that you place ahead of serving and obeying God. That's exactly what I was doing. I was so diligent and passionate in attending my practices and games to the point where if it conflicted with Sunday service 
or any other church event, I would automatically choose sports, no questions asked. Weight training replaced my quiet time and cardio replaced my prayer time. Athleticism had become my identity and sports had become my drug, offering temporary satisfaction and happiness. Spiritually, I made little to no effort in training my heart. I literally tried to cut God out of my life and cho chose to live my life in sin. I chose to be in a very dark and dangerous path, mainly due to my selfishness and my own ambitions and desires. I wanted full control of my life and wanted to run away from my life problems. March 28, 2015. I was at an all-day volleyball tournament at York University. Everything was going smoothly until the playoff game. I went up for a spike, hit the ball, and landed on my feet. No fall, no collision. But when I landed, I felt my knee shift a bit. I have never felt this kind of feeling before. And in my mind, I sensed that something was wrong, but kept denying the fact that it may be something serious. So what did I do? I did what any athletic person would do. I got back on the court to play some more. However, after another few minutes of being on the court, my body finally told my mind to shut up and get off the court. Turns out that I busted my left knee pretty badly. So I completely tore my ACL, partially tore my MCL, partially tore my PCL, and tore both sides of my meniscus. In other words, go big or go home, right? They say once you turn 30, it all goes downhill. What a great start to my 30s, I thought. May 27, 2015. I went in for an invasive surgery of my left knee and got my ACL reconstructed and also got both sides of my meniscus fixed. Days and weeks went by and my knee started to progress. However, as subsequent time went by, I started to lag behind in my recovery timeline and the pain and discomfort wasn't going away. About three months after surgery, my knee stopped showing any signs of progression. Visits to my orthopedic surgeon started to get redundant. I got so sick and tired of hearing the same thing over and over again. Just keep cycling and swimming and it should get better. Every doctor, surgeon, physiotherapist, chiropractor, and acupuncturist I saw told me the same thing. You're behind schedule, Anna. You should be at the very least running by now. Pain continued and extreme frustration set in. From the outside, my knee appeared to be normal and nobody could really tell that I was struggling unless I mentioned it to them. But on the inside, my knee felt horrible. Just imagine your leg stiffening up so much that it felt like metal rubbing up against metal with no oil to smooth out the friction. On top of that, imagine a thousand knives stabbing your knee at unpredictable and anxiety-filled intervals. I know Steve owes away today, but I know that he can relate to me. The only time I felt normal was when I was in bed. As soon as I got up and took a step to get my day started, my knee would remind me that there's something wrong and I'm only good for being in bed, bedridden. That was my true state. Physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, I was exhausted. It got to a point where I couldn't teach anymore. So I've been on sick leave since Thanksgiving weekend. I was struggling big time. I started to tailspin into frequent bouts of depression and anger. I felt so worthless in my physical state and asked myself, who am I if I can't play sports? My identity was with sports and athletics, and without it, I was nothing in this world. 
However, I knew that God still wanted me to attend church and home group, so I made it a point to at least go to these weekly gatherings. During my time off, I was not only able to focus on my rehab, but most importantly, I finally slowed down to spend time with God. To be honest, initially I went to God because I was scared and worried. I kept thinking, what if I end up like this forever? What if I can never play sports? What if I can't teach anymore? And a whole lot of what ifs. You get the idea. I relied on God more and more as I suffered from both my physical pain and severe depression because I was desperately in need of help and he was really my only hope. God kept speaking to me and sent constant messages to be patient, to have faith, and to keep coming, uh, coming to him even in my bitterness and frustration. At this period of time, my faith was really up and down. One day I would have it all together and appeared as if I had full trust in him. Other days I just couldn't do it. I knew for sure I did not want to choose life without him, as I've seen that side of my path leads to nothing of true value. However, I felt useless and worthless because I didn't think God would be able to use me in my circumstance. So when the going got real tough, I just cried out to God and prayed that he would just take me with him. I no longer desired to live in this world. God surely knows your limits and your breaking point. Just when I thought that I couldn't endure any longer and wanted to just give up, God spoke to me through Vijay's sermon on suffering. Every single word hit home for me, and I knew for sure God wanted me to listen to his voice. It gave me comfort and peace in my heart knowing that God understands my pain, and he cries with me. That day, I left church feeling thankful that God cares for me and is training me to make me into the child that he wants me to become. From then on, I got better at not e being easily frustrated, even in my circumstance. I slowly started to share more about my suffering in my home group, and my home group members went out of their way to show me their love and care for me in many different ways. Thanks, guys. As time went on, I started to focus on God himself and not my obstacles in life. I didn't even realize it at first, but God was actually changing me. My quiet time with God changed into my daily bread. I began to hear God's voice through many different ways. Suddenly, I realized that God is in full control, that I'm only a tenant, but he is the true owner of my body, mind, and spirit. For all these years, I thought I could control my life, but I was totally wrong. Who cares what team I play for and who cares how many go goals I score? I am a sinner before God, and I am lost without the grace of Jesus Christ. I started to see how selfish and how empty my life was. I started to see how I'd been living my life as a hypocrite. I went to God and cried and cried and asked for forgiveness. It was then when I felt this warm presence over me, and I felt so thankful that he opened my eyes yet again, but this time for real, almost like having 20-20 supervision. Through my suffering, God really wants me to surrender all to him. I seriously wrestled with God and went through a lot of pain and heartache. However, as I follow and trust in him more and more, I am starting to believe in his words and promises for me. I don't see his perfect plan and I don't know his perfect timing, but I do know for sure that it's a much better plan than mine, more than what I could ever imagine. 
I think that most of you are familiar, familiar that uh, Toronto Blue Jays pitcher Marcus Stroman had somewhat of a similar surgery from mine. They said that he made a remarkable recovery after his ACL surgery and went back on the baseball field after only six months of rehab. In contrast, after six months from my knee surgery, I am far from making a physical recovery back to sports. I am still limping and in physical pain and discomfort with the chance that another surgery might be on the horizon. God, however, has healed my heart and is continuing to strengthen and mold and shape me into the woman of God that he desires for me to become. And as he is transforming me each and every day, I'm further realizing just how much more rewarding and joyous this path is versus any sports could ever offer me. After six months, I too am ready to get back on the field a spiritual battlefield that God is equipping me to be in. I never thought in a million years that I would be able to find peace and be filled with joy with my knee in this scary unknown state. I owe it all to my loving and perfect father in heaven, my husband Dave, my sister Clara, and to my home group members, Pastor Vijay and Pastor Tony, and to this amazing church who was always there to lead me to God. So what a really great start to my 30s. Thank you for listening. C.S. Lewis said, I believe in the sun, not just because I can see it, but because by its light I can see everything else. This is the story of the light that has come to us. And Anna's story is her story. But you have yours and I have mine. And there have been seasons and periods and there will be of darkness. And we don't know what God is doing or all the things that he may be doing. We don't know when those things will be lifted or will be brought through. But we do know this, that those times are an opportunity, a reminder to actually have joy penetrate our hearts at a deeper level than ever before. Where we understand what true light and true life is. So, my hope, my prayer is that you and I are moved further away, in a sense, from letting happiness be the light that brings us life. Because happiness moves up and down with the circumstances of life. When we have, we have it. When we don't, we don't. But the joy, the light of life comes in even in the midst of darkness and is, in fact, is magnified in darkness. It's not tied to the circumstances that you and I go through. It is a joy that God wants to give us that is actually deeper and that brings us above. It is the true higher order benefit. And Christmas is a reminder that this is exactly why he came. In the song Joy to the World, it's a very famous Christmas carol. It says, let every heart prepare him room. You know, if the joy that came at Christmas was for all people, if it was good news of great joy for every one of us, then every heart must prepare him room. It doesn't matter where you're at. Maybe you can identify a lot with what Anna said. Maybe that's not where you're at. Maybe you're someone who's actively pursuing faith in Jesus, or maybe you're like, I don't know, it's my first time in church. But every heart can prepare him room. And so I wanted to give you a couple of ways that you can, even in this season, even today, even in the next few moments, prepare room for him to come. 
Maybe if you're going through a season or a period or experience of darkness, just ask God this, what are you trying to show me? What, are you trying, what joy are you trying to bring me through this? Just begin to ask him that. For some of us, maybe we just need to turn off some of the neon lights, some of the other stuff that is competing with our ability to see Jesus as the light of the world. Less clutter, less noise, maybe, you know, less shopping, less stuff, and light a candle instead. And these are just a couple of suggestions. The movie Son of God, it's actually on Netflix. If you have Netflix, you can watch it. The Nativity Story, which is the story of Jesus' birth, both of which were done in recent years. As I've watched those, those have been candles in my life. Those have been experiences that remind me of who Jesus is. Maybe you want to start reading through the Gospel of John, which is a story of light coming into darkness. Maybe you're someone that just needs to ask for help because maybe what you have been going through, you have been going through by yourself. And you need to say, okay, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to hide anymore in this. I'm going to come to the light. And maybe that practically looks like I'm going to ask someone else for help. Um, Anna was telling me, I was emailing her this week, her and Dave, hey, how, how's your preparation going? She's like, oh, it's kind of funny. Dave told me that I was singing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel in my sleep the other night. <laughs> and I was thinking about how in the Christmas story, every time joy came, people sang. Zachariah sang when he found out his son was going to be John, John the Baptist. Mary sang when she found out this crazy story that she was pregnant and going to be the mother of her Savior. Simeon sang when he saw the baby in the temple. And the angel sang to the shepherds to say, this is good news of great joy. The reason to do this, the reason to light a candle to pursue God is say, God, I want to sing again. We sing in church sometimes to remind us and every one of us, you know, every one of us sings when joy has come to our heart. And so maybe for some of you today, I'm just going to invite you to stand in the, as the band leads us um, in response of joy, that you feel it right now. And you, if that's you, just let it rip. Okay, they love it when they can hear you sing. But maybe if you're not there, we say, oh God, I want to have a song in my heart again. So I'm going to sing in faith that you'll give me not just a song on my lips, but the one in my heart. Before we turn the lights back on, you have a couple of announcements. I want to give you a benediction. If you want to turn your hands like this. Uh, just receive something from God. Two lines there that as you do something to prepare room for him, wherever you're at in that journey, that you would experience the wonders of his love. Did you receive that? Amen.